Hello and welcome to the Wildcard Weekend edition of Spitball, your weekly American football roundup. I'm your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows, and with me as always, my good friend and teammate, Marcus Henson. How are you, buddy? Very good, thank you. How was your weekend, sir? Did you enjoy the action? I did enjoy the action. It's been a very busy weekend in NFL land and college land. It's been quite fun to keep the season alive, really. Now, I'm going to dive straight in. Saturday's playoff games really disappointed me. They did me a little as well, yes, I must admit. There was there was just something about them. Due to time differences, we know this about you know, all those NFL fans having to, uh, over this side of the pond, having to watch through... 1 till 4am for the Minnesota Green Bay game, which is 8pm Eastern time for those on the other side of the pond, so... Yeah, crazy times. But even the the first game kicked off nine o'clock, Houston versus Cincinnati. Now we'll start off with that as it was the first game of the weekend, and although it was kept quite low scoring early on, and and Houston just would not score in touchdowns for some reason. Credit, I suppose, to the Bengals' defense. They were letting them move the ball. Yeah, they were just not letting them punch it bending, in the end zone. Yeah, bending not, but not breaking really. And there is uh, definite praise for both defenses. I mean, they've had good seasons both defences but we do know that there is two offensives there that are capable of scoring they came out all guns misfiring really well yeah the big weapons just didn't seem to be getting any action AJ Green was shut out for the first half we didn't see much of Andre Johnson on the other side of the field and ultimately it led to Houston getting two field goals going 6-0 up and then I thought the game was going to kick into life Leon Hall intercepts it about 20 yards from the Houston goal line Runs it in for a pick six. Bengals go up 7-6. You're thinking, yes, game on, here it comes. But, unfortunately... Ground back down to an annoying halt. Yeah, it seemed there was a lot of miscues. It was quite disappointing to watch some of the decent receivers dropping catches. I don't know whether on the big stage pressure got to them or whether or not it was just, just not their night. But it just... Nothing. Tate had a few drops, didn't mm. he? Yeah, and it was, it was like this. AJ Green got overthrown a few times. It just wasn't the, the kapow, the... Um, the nuance, knowing where each player is on the field between Dalton and Green. Shaw, for me, has never really exploded as a quarterback. He's done a good job and he maintains the game. And some people would say that's all you need to do. But there's never been the flash of, say, like the Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, something they brought up in the commentary over the weekend, which I frankly found a bit baffling, bearing in mind this guy's a starting NFL quarterback. But they said he's not great if he just drops back and passes the ball. I thought, that's a really obscure comment, bearing in mind... He's at the top of his trade and playing in the best league in the world. If you're a quarterback, why can't you just drop back and pass it? It seems that he's the more mobile quarterback, prefers to be on the play action and then rolling out and then hitting a pass that way around rather than literally just taking a free five-step drop like your Mannings, well, either Manning really, Eli or Peyton, and just being able to fire the ball in. I mean, yeah, it definitely seems as as weird that, you know, you can't really consider a pocket passer. Now, we know there's some people who um, adapt from the pocket i.e. the RG3s. Roethlisberger's um, a great one for getting out of, the one out of the pocket. Cam Newton, I guess, where they adapt the pocket to suit them. But at the same time, we've, we've all seen Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, sitting back firing just as they need to. And the same with RG3 as well. Something, yeah. again, that got raised, we'll, we'll come on to that game in a bit, but they're saying how great an all-round quarterback RG3 is and he just uses his legs because he can, frankly, rather than because he has to. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those blends where you have to get the, the right mixture of speed, composure, and of course you need to have that rocket of an arm, really, to wind it back. 
everything seems to be grounded down. Less of Andre Johnson. It seems to be very much more going towards Owen Daniels in that short, medium pass game. Yeah, attacking the linebackers a lot. Yeah. Just basically on the short, sort of 10, 15 yard routes, just getting them to either cross or the drags. Uh, yeah, I guess where you are going to see that the Bengals did have their weakest set. I mean, they've got a few injuries that uh, have hit them at the wrong time. So they are a little bit weak in the linebacker core. Probably, as it is, there, there's a few of them. Like, Moyaki, is it his name? Uh, no, that's the uh, Kansas City Chiefs tight end. Shame! I can't remember. Begins with an M. It begins with an M. Moolamu, yes. I believe. Ah, thank you. <laughs> How did I not remember that one? I know, it just rolls off the tongue. Say well, it again. Absolutely. <laughs> Although, you saw he had a decent number of uh, tackles. He was getting around to the ball, but it just seemed he wasn't really in the pass game as much. Um, really sort of helping towards trying well I say trying to stop so Arian Foster he this week for me gained my um, my second place offensive impact player they like the play action so sometimes they like to run with it and use that sort of same format and formation but actually put in the the run and and Arian Foster actually can work really nicely out of it 140 yards and a touchdown but it seemed to be that there's a, a right mismatch there where there wasn't enough pass protection over the run support and then what that did is made them ad- adapt their system into a run support, opening up that pass. Yeah, I think um, two games against the Bengals in the playoffs has helped, but he actually has the most rushing yards in his first three playoff games, doesn't he? Oh yeah, with a great secondary and a good attacking defensive line, you would have thought that the game would have would have produced a few more offensive um, kapows, really. I mean, it seemed to just fizzle a bit. That's it, yeah, fizzling, no kapow. So... Houston ended up winning that bad boy, and then we moved on to our late kickoff, which was Minnesota at Green Bay, a rematch of the Week 17 divisional matchup. And it shocked me a little bit, but Ponder obviously wasn't the starting quarterback. I don't know whether he was injured. Faking it was injury apparently. Or... Apparently, it's his shoulder had. Um, they they had him doing some um, pre-warm up throws, and apparently too much pain. He was uncomfortable and off target. So yeah, it was uh, Joe Webb was the quarterback for the Vikings in place of Christian Ponder. And to start off with, he showed a few flashes of what he could do and how he could surprise the defence out of the option. Yes, the option. Again, he's one of these guys that um, he sort of incensed off the, the option slash sort of wildcat system comes out of, out of college. And uh, it really caught Green Bay on surprise, really. Great 20 yards uh, they managed to pull off early. But again, it was, it was simple enough to sit there and you see the, the step from from college to the big boys and you suddenly saw that alright so this guy can only do that shut it down make him pass didn't they keep a corner or a safety on the edge so that when the linebacker went in biting on the play action there was always a corner or a safety there to cut Webb off after it had his first possession where they ended up getting a field goal from it I mean pretty much it was they, they sort of realised that option can only take you so far they break down make those um, difficult choices whether to throw you have to put it through a tight section when you're playing off that read zone or the box zone you're going to basically be coming off straight off one into another and there's always going to be someone hanging over the top yeah and there was a highlight in that game for me and it's a very very funny moment which I'll make sure I put in the notes uh, if I can find it for you but Joe Webb dropping back for a pass gets sacked by Clay Matthews that's been pushed on the floor by his offensive lineman and he's face down on the pitch and somehow Webb manages to trip over him and get sacked. Absolutely. <laughs> it was, it's, it's the look of bewilderment on um, Clay Matthews' face. He stepped up sort of as a, a what? 
Oh, a sack. I, Brilliant. I, I, I got a what now? <laughs> How did I do that? It was, it was, it was, for some points it did become a bit of a farce where it was kind of like, you almost feed the rookie to the lions, really. I mean, yeah. again, and what happened there was it completely hindered Peterson, who I believe only managed to accumulate about 90 yards. Yeah, it was about, I think it was 90 or 99 yards he got. Certainly it wasn't quite the 100, but even then he just couldn't do it on his own, really, could he, this week? He did need the help, and... Uh, Unfortunately, he just didn't get it, and that three points was the only points Minnesota scored until really late in the fourth quarter. And having stayed up to watch it, I did. I admit, I fell asleep halfway through the third quarter. By the time it was like half past three in the morning, the game looked as though it was only going one way. So it was kind disappointing, of disappointing. Yeah, up. yeah. Disappointing. So very disappointed. Green Bay came out victorious. We'll move now on to the Sunday games, which I have a little bit more positive. <laughs> Feelings towards starting we, off. We with, do like football, really. We love yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I I love football. I mean, come on, we know this, but that's why I was so disappointed with with the games on Saturday. Whether it was a culture shock to the system because I'm so used to watching Red Zone, so it's action, 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 to then have to sit there for six hours and go through ad breaks and channel surfing and back to the game and everything else. Maybe it was that. I don't know. But Sunday, on the other hand. I was a little Sunday's bit more, much more, more hyped about yeah, yeah, absolutely. First game up, Indianapolis going into the home of Mr. Ray Lewis for his last ever home game at MT and T Bank Stadium. Yeah, MT Bank Stadium, yeah. I mean, what a performance when he came out. I mean, you could feel it. The press, the coverage really kept tight on him so that way you could see every moment. Yeah, like when um, he came out of the tunnel for the last time. Grabbed the piece of actual uh, turf and... Threw it, broke it up, threw over, it around. Yeah, completely put it all over himself. And there was um, the brilliant where they showed him his pre-game sort of... Quite yeah, his, his inspirational speech. Inspirational speech, which was uh, got really into the zone there, didn't he? Which is great, because you see what really is behind this guy. Anyone who's watched football for a long time has nothing but good words to Absolutely. say about the character of Mr Ray Lewis. And you've got to have nothing but respect for the guy, because he does it on the field... He's humble off the field. He does a lot for the local community. And he just seems a really down-to-earth guy, bearing in mind he is one of the biggest names ever to play the game. And his commitment. I mean, that was the thing that really got me, was the fact is, he, this year, he suddenly saw the way the game was changing and the way that he felt from, from the previous season. Some of you might have known that he came over this year, trained with the London Warriors. Yeah. Um, and it was reported that he would literally either jog or bike well, no, he uh, he ran for six miles. Ran for six miles. Rode for a hundred, wasn't it? I think uh, is what Neil. In Brown total, said yeah, him. absolutely, yeah. The coverage there, they Sky Sports, the guys, uh, who they had, oh, um, Neil Reynolds, and Kevin was Cadle, normal, and, and uh, Jeff Reinhold, yeah. who is one of my all-time favourite pundits. And if you're listening, Buffalo Bills, going to throw this in there. We need a defensive coordinator, so give Jeff a call. You know it's right. <laughs> but he just breaks the game down so well and whenever you see his analysis I mean that was another good thing about the games this weekend just listening to him he'll always break it down they ask him to simplify what he's saying his terminology he always does explains it very well and it's just he knows so much about the game yeah but again it makes it more enjoyable to watch when you've really got someone there because let's face it we all know that there's a lot of breaks um, especially when it comes to the NFL level, when they actually they're, they're even adding it in breaks, yeah, um, just to sort of disconjoint the the play any more than they could. Yeah. Um, you really do sometimes need to just go back to the studio, and, and it's great to have those sort of guys there. Yeah, absolutely. But back to the game itself. I mean, what a performance from from both teams! Really, it started off a really really close game, didn't it? I mean, 
sort of at one stage I think we were halfway through the second quarter weren't we before we got our first field goal yeah it was definitely defences really looked sharp to begin the game yeah everyone playing well luck trying to adjust but he was up against not only Ray Lewis but they had um, Nada back what? you had Terrell Suggs in there you had um, Ed, Ed, Reed. Ed Reed in there right, so it's, this is the first time this year that they've had all of what they call the star four actually on the pitch at the same time absolutely and they also had their other linebacker the fi- number 59 and he seemed to be everywhere as well Upshaw was it Upshaw possibly um, yeah he seemed to be here there and everywhere as well as making the tackles and for me that's why my defensive impact, impact player this week went to Mr Ray Lewis I mean the guy was everywhere he had 13 combined tackles he had a pass deflection <laughs> on the stats I'm sure he will feel the same as me in that he should have probably had the pick, but that was also well, quite how, a comical How could he moment. see through the grill? <laughs> That's true. He did have almost like a Justin Tuck grill, didn't he? I, it, was a, it was a grill that Justin Tuck would be jealous of, the one. If anyone saw it, watch the live coverage. If you haven't seen it... We'll put a picture next to the podcast. It is absolutely mental, the, the, the grill the man had. You think of gladiators of old, just sort of like, you know, it's not for my protection, it's for your protection, so that way I don't go crazy on you. Yeah. It was great. And the, the interview perception he should have had he kind of bobbled it around and at one stage he even smacked it into his own face which I thought was quite talented and uh, he just managed to let just dropped away from his hands basically but I think just from the sheer fact that his presence on the field what he means to that organization the fact it was his last home game oh he made it special he did make it special and that's why he gets my defensive impact player so of course me as well I've honestly I've doubled up the awards this week so for me too, he has to truly be the Mr. Ray, Ray Lewis, Lewis Award. Of yeah. the wildcard weekend. Congratulations, it's named after you and you've won it, sir. Well played. But again, a great game, but Baltimore in the end came out victorious and... Well, Flacco decided to turn up. He did, in the, particularly in the second half. They thought, OK, who can I throw to that I know's got one of the strongest pair of hands in football. Oh, uh, yeah, Anquan Bolden. Yeah, we oh. got him for a reason, didn't oh, we? Some of the part, the over-the-shoulder one, when um, he's completely covered by Vaughan. Yeah. And literally, it had to drop over the shoulder. Neither of them knew, really, where it was. You see Bolden sort of kind of put his hands out, going, the ball should be here now. And fair and then play it to Flacco, dropped. it was. It literally dropped there, and it was just beautiful. Yeah, great catch. Great coverage, but you aren't stopping them. No, absolutely not. Literally just one, two feet inbounds and then done. job done. But again, in the whole of the second half, they found him five times. His only catches were in the second half. Five catches for 145 yards. And that touchdown, again, the touchdown catch. Kind of broke the, the back, back of really. The Cubs, definitely. And it was one of those where it was a jump ball. The defender didn't even know where the ball was. The defender got his arm up in between Bolden's arms, but he just hung on to that ball. The strength, the strength, strength behind that man. amazing. And he is definitely in my top five favourite receivers obviously we all know who my favourite is at the moment and who would that be Del Del ah Megatron (laughs) there we go yeah so my other favourite receivers are Brandon Lloyd New England Patriots and this guy Anquan Bolden a great experienced veteran receiver who really knows how to get a job done in clutch situations so this week he was my offensive impact player a great performance and do you have anything else to add on that game my friend no, not really. It was it was it was one of the great ways to start off. I think, considering how Saturday was, to kick off Sunday with that was brilliant. Yeah. So then we finished off Sunday with the battle of the rookie quarterbacks. We were always mm. going to have one rookie in the uh, divisional 
playoff weekend, we had the battle of RG3 versus Russell Wilson. Okay, there we go. <laughs> and again, a great match to start with. You also had Alfred Morris in there. You have Marshawn Lynch on Beast Mode. I think Alfred Morris also returned the favour on Beast Mode with some of the carries he had this week. There was some tough running. There really was. I mean, we know there's a physical defence that Seattle has come up with. Oh, brutal. I mean, it's been masterminded to sort of play hard, play rough. They are so tough. They're so mean. And they put in every, sing- every single yard is fought for. Yeah, and uh, Brandon Browner in particular, his first game back off his suspension and... He would not give Pierre Garçon any time at all. Every time the camera flicked onto them, they were having some kind of fight or kerfuffle, if you will. Oh, I tell you what, the the bad blood was. In one way, it shouldn't be like you know. Oh yes, I love it because that you know it's supposed to be you know against the nature of the game. But I thought it was brilliant. As long as they leave it on the field, yeah. As long as as soon as they walk off, it's done and dusted. Then, then you know both teams wanted this, and this is what you love to see. You're in the playoffs. Yeah, best turn up. And the NFC for me, it does always seem to bring the much more competitive games because I guess, especially the NFC East, there's a lot of fierce. Well, it's a big fierce rivalry division, and you don't tend to see the competitiveness as much in the AFC I don't think as you do in some of the big NFC rivalries well no I I think a lot of it sort of um, there was a time when the AFC was the much more fiercer and aggressive of the leagues Um, we're talking when John Lynch was still playing for Denver probably yeah it seems to be more the sort of like I'd say we've this last sort of decade the sort of the noughties as it were would definitely belong to the the NFC Um, before that I mean well, I guess you go back into the sort of the sort of eighties towards that period. I mean, the AFC, especially the West, where the Oakland, wherever they went, Kansas City, San Diego, Denver, they were some nasty games. But it definitely seems to now the um, the it division is definitely the NFC East at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely, and we saw one of our show favourites, London Fletcher. Oh, the guy is just everywhere still, even all these years in. Uh, yeah, again, and I loved the anecdotal nature which we got again from from our commentary team, which talking about how the Rams literally sat them went, we're going to cut him, talking saying, oh yeah, uh, that was uh, Jeff again, wasn't Jeff again it? Yeah. saying like, look, uh, turning them, because um, the, he was a player for the he Canadian was, football, he was at up, the time, in, yeah. up in Canada at the time, sitting there going, you know what, he's got a little bit of talent, I guess he wouldn't do too bad up in Canada. Yeah, but we're going to cut him in a week, yeah, and ever since he's been playing in the NFL, he's, <sighs> he did not get cut. They no. realised. Rams, Bills, and now Redskins. Yeah, there's literally there's a lot of talent there, and again, like Ray Lewis that we talked about, there's a lot of heart and passion to actually keep going. You know, he's getting on. The body starts taking the wear, and like I said, linebackers, running backs, they're the most brutal because you get hit and you hit. That's all you do. Yeah, just constant impacts. Constant impacts, no matter every single down. It doesn't matter whether it's a run or pass. You tend to at least be getting some kind of impact as a linebacker. Yeah, a absolutely. Not much more impact than a uh, classy hill, shall we say? <laughs> but not as much it. impact as my impact players. Ha! Who were? Which I can. Uh, it's a tie. It's a tie. I could not split them this week. My offensive impact player this week, I had to give it. My second place, as I said, was Aaron Foster. I had to give it to a, a tie between Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson because um, they were just they they ruled. 
when they came out, once once they managed to settle into the game, there was just nothing stopping them. And you could almost tell that the the switch had been you know turned on. That was it. Redskins defense has been a good towards the latter part of the year, but especially when we watched them early on, we saw the cracks. Mm. And there's a few things. I mean, you had you had Hall really getting in. I mean, Jesus, he was like a wild animal, literally. Didn't matter whether or not it was his tackle or not, he was getting in the field and he was getting into every sort of swing of the handbags. Which again, it's great to see that passion, but at the same time, you know, it got abused because there was there's a lot of times that they managed to pull out the defense, get them thinking one way, and then you're just lo- losing it within. Either you're going to put in Lynch's hand and he's going to literally break two or three or he's going to carry two or three with him. Yeah, that's it. And Russell Wilson as well. I mean, he had... Um, there was one I remember where he dropped back, didn't see anything on, run for 20 yards, and then when they show you the replay again, uh, a little bit gutted for Sidney Rice because he had just gone clean past his defender on the outside, was wide open for what would have been like a 50-yard touchdown. Oh, yeah. Wilson just but you've got, you've got to remember that. Watch what Wilson is very much like Drew Brees. He's only about... This kid's only about 6 foot, 6'1". Six 5'11", I think. 5'11", yeah. They're basically saying he, he, again, weren't they, that if he had been 6'4", he would have been a first-round draft pick. He's not a tall kid. So therefore, he's like Drew Brees has this problems a lot of times. He misses the big bang play. But luckily, it seems um, Drew Brees has, has people around him that really sort of step up and help him and they've they've progressed that system and despite his height Drew Brees the first quarterback to have back to back 5,000 yard season exactly because he's managed to find out that it's not about the height it's about how you play it through it and I think Russell Wilson is getting to the same point where he's realising it doesn't matter what my height is it's how I play this game yeah and he's playing at a very high level right now yes again he's got some great coaching behind it I mean it's controversial I mean when they first came into in Seattle I know not everyone all the Seahawks fans were a fan of it because I don't think he'd had a NFL job up to that I think oh, it was his Pete first Carroll, yeah Pete Carroll I think it was his first NFL job uh, not NFL job he's been assistant but first head coaching so again that's always very cautious yeah taking a risk on him basically yeah I mean a lot of time you're looking at seeing guys you know do you expect a lot from a uh, almost like a rookie head coach yeah. in the same respect he's been in the job a couple of years now hasn't he and so you can definitely really see that he's seen. managed to pull out his he's left his mark on that team. yes a, I mean there's, there's, a, defi- there's a definite attitude attitude a will to play and uh, he's really starting to get some draft picks like Wilson and there's a few more on the defensive side yeah, um, and there's the safety rookie of, linebacker as well, isn't linebacker. it? Bright, I think his last yeah. name is. Yeah, they've got some great, and they know how to put them into the the system straight Absolutely. away. And on the flip side, they thinking of coaching RG three. Everyone can see how injured he is going into that game, based on how he that was around a big last brace, week. wasn't it? A big brace, a big brace he had on his leg this week, and you could see from his early movement he was shimmying a little, wasn't he? And he he was kind of breaking to the outside, just Looks trying a bit to tender. avoid the tackle, looking mm. very tender, and then. Even worse when he had that run down towards the goal line, and then got a bit landed, up, yeah, he sort of landed then, on the landed on the leg. I think that was the turning point in the game because it was just before the uh, the touchdown. It was after he'd gone. Was that before he scored the second touchdown? Mm. Then uh, yeah, right, okay, yeah. And then basically you saw he tried to pass off the back foot, and the back foot he landed on was the bad one, and he just gave him underneath him. Yeah, I mean they went fourteen nil up, so we weren't sure whether it was going to be a one sided affair or not. But well, I, I honestly think if. Um, you replay that match again with a healthy RG3 because you look at his output and his output is just up to that sort of elite second, level yeah. I think because he's only had he's only thrown five interceptions this season it said 20 touchdowns five oh, interceptions he's been, he's been absolutely amazing but I, I would have loved to have seen a healthy RG3 take on because I think I think that could have been a difference know, maker yeah I mean you, you're saying he can run like Russell Wilson 24-14 
and I think you could have easily seen 30 points put up by them yeah. because don't know, ask me how but a lot of teams have struggled to put points on Seattle but they, they, they you saw them not do so well at home but once the pressure on the offence started mounting and you saw that they weren't going to be putting up the amazing points because the defence can now go right RG3 is now stuck in the pocket and we can start reducing Alfred Morris's output and literally they became one dimensional and it started hurting and then once you get in front it's even easier yeah and then of course there was the big moment um, towards the end of the game when RG3's legs literally got his toes caught in the turf and his legs literally just buckled underneath him it was fumbled the ball and didn't even get up to recover he couldn't get up he was literally literally lying face down you knew especially when you saw the slow-mo replays and the way his leg twists yeah Um, knees aren't supposed to bend that way are they no not really no and they go forward and back not sideways that's it and we can only hope you know what I mean and pray that he's going to recover in time for next season because personally I'm sure you'll agree it looked like it's definitely a surgery it's a surgery job Um, if it wasn't before it is now and like you said speaking of surgery I don't know any of you read about the controversy uh, surrounding the team doctor how he claims that he was never even given a chance to examine him whether he was fit and ready to go back this was last week where he, he sort of came back into the game again Oh no, that was the um, sorry. That wasn't last week, was it? That was when he first got yeah. injured back in week fifteen. And went back in for four plays, yes. Yeah. And apparently, the doctor never even got to have a look at him uh, on the first first recovery. Um, so, what my question on that is: Was it right to, and was it worth the risk of starting a sixty percent RG three? Well, clearly Shanahan thought he could do it. I think if he hadn't taken that hit and gone down on the bad leg, it might have been different because it might have held out for the game and he might have got away with it. But once he'd sort of weakened it, you could tell that literally every other movement then, almost like if you uh, if you take a Jenga block and you just remove one of them on the bottom tier, all it needs is them for just a slight wobble and each time it's just going to teeter more dangerously over the edge. Yeah. I think literally that's what happened is, as the minutes and the seconds piled on, so did the pressure on that knee. Yeah, and it all mounted up to a Seattle win in the end, so... The teams that progress, and uh, well, you know I'm one to boast. How many predictions did I get right from the playoff games this week? I think that's all of them. I did get all four right, sir. So um, you got three right. Yeah, no, I, I went for Redskins, so I'm. I'm Actually, what did you get? Yeah, you went for Redskins. Did you go for Colts over Baltimore as well? I did as well. So oh, I got two. Oh wow, yeah, half-ass Marcus. That might be your new nickname. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, uh, maybe tell us what you think. Marcus Half-Arse Henson, let me know. It has a certain ring to it, I think, but we'll see. So, moving on then, into this week's games. We have now our divisional round of the playoffs. So, the AFC games look like this. Um, Houston are going into New England, and Baltimore are going into Denver. And in the NFC, we have Green Bay going to San Francisco, and Seattle going to Atlanta. What are your thoughts on the upcoming games? It's going to be very tough. I, I could almost see a home team takedown over in the AFC. Both New England and Denver. Yeah, both home teams looking very comfortable where they are at the moment. Um, not Maybe it's not so much for um, for the NFC because San Francisco, Green Bay coming to them, that's a difficult team. I'd never put it down to Green Bay to say... Um, no, I mean, look what Eli Manning did when he went into yeah. San Francisco last year. Yeah, Kansas City Park isn't exactly a fortress. No, yeah. and there's obviously how still, will Kaepernick play? Still, will Kaepernick still, yeah. play? Will it be Smith? 
do you go on the guy who's got you there as opposed to the guy you know may get you to the next level I think what you, you have to run on the guy who's running form at the moment I mean if the guy's coming off the wins I think you'd have to go with Kaepernick at this rate just because he's the guy who's on form and what they say is like um, never change a guy when he's hot Yeah. you know and then bring on some guy who's cold and with that in mind though I mean if Kaepernick stays in say Kaepernick gets him to the Super Bowl and uh, whether he wins it or falls short what does that mean for Alex Smith next year? Well, it depends whether or not his contract is uh, up for hire. Because I don't think he'd be able to take the number two seat. But then again, I don't think Kaepernick, after getting to the Super Bowl, would want to go to number two either. But then would they be hasty in that decision? Because you only look at some of the quarterbacks who have been a good number two. Or well, you think not, should we say, they came in as a number two like Matt Flynn did. He had that awesome game for Green Bay, didn't he? At the back end of last season. So subsequently, Seattle traded out for him, but then they ended up with Russell Wilson and the rest is history. Hmm. And you only have to look at this. Castle. Yeah, Castle as well, yeah. Came in for Tom Brady after that year. Still had a winning season, only missed out because everyone else had such a great record. I think Miami won it with an 11-5 season, I think it it was. was. Yeah, it was a very positive, New England had at least 10 wins, and I think they were... I think it was 10 and 6. It was like something like they were the first team to have 10 wins and not make the postseason or something stupid like that that year. And he's gone obviously off to Kansas. Again, that's not worked out. So, if he does decide to move, would it be right for him? I think that is a bridge that you can only um, only decide upon that once it's been made. Really? I mean, yeah, once it's crossed, I think that's when we'll judge it. Fair enough. Okay, so with the games then next week, I would like to get your... Um, I'm definitely going to have to go for the Atlanta game. I see this where we can have a nice little upset there. Yeah, Seattle rolling into town as the hot team. Yeah, I so just to speak. Well, it's not only that we've seen Atlanta fall short at some places, places that they shouldn't do. Um, We're really we, hating on Atlanta this year, aren't well, we? Well, it's not. It's not. It's not like hating on Atlanta. I just find them a little lacklustre in in certain areas that I just don't see them being a Super Bowl team. They were a bit like the playoff games on Saturday. Yeah, Dire, disappointing. Their games are normally one sided. <laughs> well, it's it's the problem is I don't see the defense holding out. No, they couldn't hold Oakland out, as we said on many exactly. occasions. So, um, I, I honestly don't see them being able to stop the Lynch. And well, it was, just, it was a beautiful display by uh, by Lynch and Wilson. And well, it's not just that the, um, the tight ends and, like you said, the receivers. Miller had a great game this mm. week, didn't he? He was very useful. Yeah, it's just it seems I think it's too much for that. So so. I mean, it's a good defense. It's not. Nothing to write home about though in Atlanta, but what, it's trying to cover Sydney Rice. It's trying. To yeah, I just don't take. see that because the fact is as well. I see the Seattle defense with all their stars doing much better to try and cover around. Well, we've 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 seen it this year that um, Atlanta are always far too eager to go to the the pass only technique far too quickly. It's almost like they've given up on Michael Turner sometimes. Especially if they go behind, literally yeah. Michael Turner probably there's there's times when you've seen like second halves if they've gone behind, Michael Turner doesn't get another carry. No, and that's just ridiculous because you need to use your your weapons and well, if you start going par- one dimensional, the pass the pass the pass game is opened up by the running game and the running game is opened up by the pass game. The two set themselves up. Yeah, and if you're just going to pass, then the teams are just going to drop back and double cover Jones and. Uh, Jones and Roddy White, and, and we've seen that we've seen that a few times when Matt Ryan's had bad free interception games and stuff like that. Yes, you've got people like Julio Jones and Ronnie White, which are beautifully 
gifted receivers. I mean, they can really cause a pain, even in the best. My swing, probably a 55-45. I think no more than about that for the upset with a seven-point going the way of Seattle. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing those linebackers getting really physical with Tony Gonzalez as well. That's going to be a big matchup, I think, in the middle of the field. You have to take that option away as as quick as you can from Matt Ryan, because then if he hasn't got that check down to Gonzalez, which has been there so many times before, then literally he'll start panicking, and that's when I think you'll start seeing balls getting thrown into blue shirts. Yeah, and I think, well, we, we agreed a little bit on the, the swing this week, so I've had to throw in a, uh, a substitute swing. Um, because we kind of both agree it's going to be seven points or less, we think, don't we, for Seattle to beat Atlanta. So, therefore, my is going to be New England over Houston, and I'm sure you're probably getting sick of me saying this now, but New England at the moment, for me, are just that good. And I can see them taking apart Houston again in a similar way to the way they dismantled them a few weeks ago, and I'm going for a 70-30 in favour of New England, so look for New England to beat Houston by over 10 points even though it is a divisional playoff game there's Brady not sure if the Gronk's going to be back but still they have to try and handle Welker in the slot they've got Hernandez you've got Brandon Lloyd not to mention that they've also got a really good running game which no one counted on this year and Stephen Ridley as well Stephen Ridley and uh, uh, Vereen as well He's really nice because they got like a change like, of pace. Yeah, change of pace is which what you want to do, flash or thunder. And don't forget that this is in Foxborough, and we know how difficult it is to normally win in Foxborough. And you we get don't into know what the playoffs. The like oh yeah, we if don't know what the weather's going to be like. Imagine if it's not a snowstorm. You're, yeah, you're, you're in Houston. You're used to playing in an air-conditioned. Yeah, they can have it as a dome slash open air, can't d- they? But yeah, it's still but 60, mo- 70 degrees. Yeah, you're still sitting there going, you know. Oh, uh, get your sun cap is on. Is it hot in here? And you sit out there, and you best batter clava up. When you um, hit hit Foxborough in January, absolutely, and that ball is going to be loose. It's going to be loosey goosey in the hands of the runners and receivers. I have to say that much. Yeah, you want to get your prit stick on the old uh, gloves, really. Yeah, because... you should uh, take a trip to San Diego, see if they've still got some towels left. Yeah, we'll stick them. Yeah, a bit of the bit of the magic uh... catching fluid. Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> try to avoid the wet fluid. <laughs> well, the fluid makes them nice and moist and makes them very sticky. So we will leave it there. <laughs> You wanted to avoid it, but I'm just going straight in there. Forget about it, Polly, as they say. Right, okay, just to finish off this week, we will go through the coaching changes this week. So, first up, I will get it over and done with. Buffalo Bills have appointed a new head coach in Doug Marone. Now, you know a little bit more about him than I do, so maybe you'd be... Well, basically, um, what he's made his name is he's managed to transform Syracuse. University keeping it local. Basically, as it's come from, it's they were a losing school, mainly focusing on their um, basketball exploits, which they are apparently much better at. Um, yeah, I think they started off either this season or last season undefeated for about yeah. 10, 15 games. But Syracuse has much been more. If you're going to go to Syracuse, you know, in sporting terms, it's because you're going to go and play basketball. But he's managed to t- change that ideology around, and he's managed to bring upon a couple of winning seasons. I think this year they managed to pull out. I think they might have just got a. I remember them getting a big win over Louisville. Yeah, I think they might have just eked out a seven and five this year, um, on the regular season, which led them to go to the Pinstripe Bowl. I believe it's the second time in four years or something like that. It's under Doug Marone. So that's it's under Doug Marone, and it's, again, it's this Syracuse team that they haven't had much to sh- scream and shout about, and they managed to pick up a bowl victory this year. And I think that's really sort of put him in uh, this 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 idea that. Um, losing teams into winning teams and I'm hoping he can work some of his magic in Buffalo and what I like about this appointment is 
I don't really know anything about this coach. I have to judge him purely on what I see in front of me for the Buffalo Bills. I appreciate what you're saying he's done at Syracuse, but let's see what he does at the Bills. I saw an interview with him. He's basically come in. Syracuse was his dream job. This is kind of like a a second place, but he's not saying that in a bad way. It's basically he loves the area. He wants to be an NFL coach. So it's although it's not his dream job as far as coaching jobs go, it's his dream job in the NFL. Yeah, because he's keeping it to Western New York. So, um, and also as well, he's come out and said he's not an offensive-minded coach. He's not a defensive-minded coach. He doesn't like being branded as either one or the other. Obviously, he has been favoured towards offence, but he's come in and said, I'm a head coach. My job is to manage all three elements of the game. I'm not offensive-minded. I'm not going to be calling the offensive plays. I'm going to have coordinators for that. I'm just going to game-manage and make sure the team succeeds. And I I like that attitude. I think that's that's a great attitude. Great attitude. what you want your head coach to do. And also, the only other nugget I've picked up, I believe he's from the school of Sean Payton, didn't he? do a year as a coordinator under Peyton as well like I said I've only really taken off the, the college I'm more into my sort of college college football in that respect so hence why I know a little bit more about him but I, I wouldn't be surprised because there seems to be a lot of a lot of coaches these days they seem to have similar tutelages yeah and whether it kind of be a descendant of Bill Parcells which was Sean Payton which is then obviously anyone that falls under that or anyone that's kind of been on the Belichick coaching staff they're kind of the ways forward at the moment and the other appointment which we'll finish up with is Andy Reid uh, once the Philadelphia Eagles being appointed head coach for Kansas City Chiefs which also meant that the Chiefs fired their general manager which I found quite interesting yeah it was there was a definite uh, clean sweep over in Kansas City I mean nobody was really safe from the axeman apparently it was a part of the condition though that when Andy Reid came in it meant the GM got fired what does that so say about that? Is he going to bring in his own staff, bring in the whole new setup, or is this a rip up what's come before us? This is a new page for Kansas City. That's it, and he's Chief- going to make all the decisions. Basically. Yeah, I mean, Chiefs fans, what do you feel about that? Yeah, definitely. You know, let us know. He can't do any worse than he did in the Eagles, and I mean, he did have some really good seasons in the Eagles, but he got let down by not a lack of talent, but was there, was there a, a lack su- of performance in Super the Super Bowl games. appearance. He did make a Super Bowl against the Patriots. You know, that was in the era when they had Terrell Owens, you had Donovan McNabb, and they had Westbrook as the running back. So they had a lot of talent, but yet they managed to fall up short. Now, was that because the players just couldn't find it in them to win on the day? Did you put that on the head coach? I don't know. It's, it's, I think failure is one of those things that it's just it has that effect that media like to spin it. Players are the ones who know that they have to look deep down inside themselves. Did you give 100%? And also there's a lot said about how Andy Reid likes to throw the ball sort of 35, 40 times a game. So what would that mean for the likes of Jamal Charles? Do you think he would think, would he just prick up and think, do I need to look for a new team, bearing in mind his production? Or would he bearing sort of in, sit it out Bearing in mind his contract's coming up as well. I yeah. Mean, it depends. It seems that to me that there's going to be a big change in Kansas City. If you're going to fire the, the general manager as well, along with all that, I think there's going to be... This isn't going to be a one year and then he's going to get kicked out because he hasn't made a playoff. Or any of some of these people I see these days, coaches just not given the time, time to build an actual winning team. It doesn't help when you have the likes of Pete Carroll and um, Jim Schwartz coming in as uh, rookie coaches and turning the team around in two seasons. Yeah, well, again, that's the thing. Is you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to be realistic, I think, because some of them had the pieces, just not in the right places. I think somewhere like Kansas City, there's only 
a few real pieces there. Dwayne Bow being one. Dwayne Bow. Jamal Charles. Jamal Charles. Um, Your mate, <laughs> who doesn't play linebacker for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. What was Mariarchy. his name? There you go. <laughs> um, uh, he's actually a great uh, linebacker. Tight end. Um, sorry. Well, yeah, yes, he's a tight yes, end. He's tight end. Sorry, we were talking it. about linebackers, weren't we? Yeah, we're, we're not pundits. It's okay. Or are we? <laughs> so, but anyway, um, I think we've waffled in on enough about Wildcard Weekend for you now. I'm sure you're probably sick of hearing my voice. I know I am. So on that note, I will wish you all a great divisional weekend. And Marcus, as always, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Yes, it has. Take care all and stay safe. <laughs>